Welcome to Made in Australia. Ball Played's deep dive into the Australian games industry where we focus on an Australian-based studio and their upcoming game. Welcome back to Made in Australia, Well Played's podcast that focuses on the Australian game industry. Today I'm here with Michael Pierce from Western Australia's Tiny Wear. How are you going, Michael? I'm going good. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. I, uh, I just got my car serviced uh, and I don't know if you've had a car service recently or, or ever, but they are expensive. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, I called up, got quoted a price, and then, you know, went down there. And, of course, there's always little things that they find. Uh, and, you know, I got, I, got, I got no idea. So, you know, they could be saying anything. I'll be like, yeah, sure, I don't know what that is. But uh, anyway, uh, we're here now. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, great to finally have you on the on the show. Been trying to get you for a while. Um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for being on. No problem. All right, so we'll get uh, we'll get stuck straight into it. You are developing a game. Called, actually, no, sorry. First, tell, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's uh, let's kick it off with some some personal info first. Um, you know, your age, sort of where where you're from. You know, that sort of base level info. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Michael Pierce. I've been developing um, video games for a while. Um, I'm located in Perth, Western Australia, so, like, it's been kind of weird growing up here and, and especially, I guess, not just being a gamer, but also being, like, a game developer because it's a pretty small community over here in Perth. Like, we're the most isolated city in the world, so, um, we don't get so much support, but, like, it's kind of been a good thing in recent years with, like, COVID as well because we've been, like, locked away. Um... But yeah, like I've I've been passionate about video games for most of my life, and um, yeah, I I think since about fifteen I've been developing games actively, so it's been really fun. Nice. Uh, all right, so we'll get stuck into the game that you are making, but I just want to preface this whole thing, uh, and this is what I was alluding to before we hit record is I actually had a bunch of questions ready to go, uh, but I had two files on the go. And uh, yesterday when I was making sure I had everything ready, I must have accidentally uh, deleted the updated version. So I'm missing probably half the questions I had written down. So hopefully uh, it should flow pretty well, this interview, but... um, if I do forget something, uh, I do apologize because I did have a lot more written down to ask. All right, so your Tinyware is developing a game called Misc A Tiny Tale. Uh, do you want to give us the elevator pitch for what that is? Yeah, so Misc A Tiny Tale is a 3D platformer um, that's really focused on classic platformers that uh, we grew up with. Um, especially Nintendo platformers, sort of like uh, Super Mario and um, more specifically Chibi-Robo style. Um, so to, to sum it up, basically you go around, uh, you play as a tiny robot uh, made of miscellaneous parts and your goal is to basically go to these different areas, um, explore the map and talk to a bunch of different characters and help them with their problems. Nice. Look, I've uh, yeah, so I've I've played the first uh, two chapters, I think it was, uh, of of the game, and yeah, like it, it definitely, you can definitely feel that um, uh, 
you know, platformers of, you know, back in the in the glory days, if you want to call it that, of, uh, you know, old adventure platformers. But i got to ask, why, uh, what is it exactly about those games that influenced you to to make a game, you know, with those elements? I mean, I think it's it comes down to a lot of reasons. I mean, we, we obviously get influenced, like, growing up with those type of games, um, especially, like, even just place like classic PlayStation One and Two games, like those, so many of them that we played that, like kind of stuck with us over the years. And as technology has like grown and and you know we've got more cinematic experiences in games, I feel like a little bit of that like fun element of classic simpler games has kind of dropped off, and you're kind of seeing that a little bit more come back with especially indie games, but even AAA games are starting to come back. A little bit with that um so I guess at the end of the day we just wanted to make a game that we enjoyed playing as well and it just happened to kind of line up with that yeah nice so you mentioned uh chibi robo robo yep. uh, Robi. <laughs> I've never actually played that I know I haven't even heard of it uh, I mean I'm not really a Nintendo uh, gamer so a lot of the games that aren't, you know, the big, you know, Mario's and whatnot, I've not, I've not really played. Is there anything specifically? Because you do, you do say that, especially that game has influenced you. Is there anything uh, from that game that you that you really, really loved and wanted to include or build off in yeah. in Misk? Yeah, well, so Cheapy Robo is kind of like it. It's interesting that you say that you didn't know it because, like, even a lot of Nintendo fans don't really know about it. Um, so, like, it's a game uh, published by Nintendo, and it's all about like playing as this small robot that uh, helps clean up a house for this family. Um, but it's kind of got like these sort of platforming elements. It's a little bit not like your traditional game, but it. It kind of mixes like these darker story elements later on as well, um, but it's it's a really kind of weird, wacky game that never made it out of Japan for a lot of um, the later entries in the series. And like the games that did come to the West ended up being like really poorly advertised and um, just didn't end up doing well. So it kind of it it kind of got like a little cult uh, following. Um, and I'm a part of that group. Uh, there's like a whole Discord server and all that. So uh, I've been really involved with them. And, and you know, sadly, the franchise uh, for a while has died and like the developers have completely shut down and everything. So it doesn't look like that that series is going to come back. So there's definitely like a, a missing uh, element in, in the games industry for that type of game. Um, so, yeah, for, for Misk, you know, we... We're trying to make a game that was influenced by games we enjoy and games we grew up. So a, a big part of that is Chibi Robo and and the way it um it tells stories and the way it it uh, handles gameplay. So yeah. Would you say that Misk is a somewhat of a spiritual successor? To... I guess I I I, I would um, if I was like <laughs> I don't want to give people like the the wrong idea because like you know I I think Misk is very much its own thing um but it, it definitely I, I feel like if you've played Chibi Robo and you've enjoyed uh what's what was offered there then you'll definitely see some inspirations with Misk. 
Did, did, did you ever consider reaching out to Nintendo and being like, hey, what are you doing with the with this license? Uh, any chance, you know, we've got a game idea that we could pitch to you or was it always, let, let's just do our, our own thing and uh, use inspiration kind of stuff? I mean, as, as cool as it would be to actually get the license, no, we, we've never reached out. And, and um, I, I feel like it's kind of a good thing because... I don't want to be locked away about like you know, just just working on that franchise or like getting it perfect. So like we definitely want to kind of do our own thing as well, and kind of gives us yep. a little bit of freedom and a, a lot less pressure. <laughs> yeah, as yeah, a small team. Yeah, what? Uh, when did you start working on 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 Misk? Uh, so I think we started around twenty twenty. So it's been a few years already. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of been interesting because when I first developed it, um, I, I envisioned it as a much smaller game, um, as most developers tend to start off doing, they kind of uh, scope out and get bigger along the way. Um, but yeah, when we first started developing, I was working on it pretty much full time. Um, and then about a year in, I got a job at this place that took a lot of my time away from the game and I've been working there since so mm-hmm. um development on at least my side has definitely slowed down a little bit but in some areas it's kind of helped because like I'm learning these new things at the job that's kind of helping me uh contribute to the game in different ways like getting my writing better so um it all kind of works out but yeah it's been a very interesting experience balancing the two so how many people are working on the game and what exactly is your role in in the development? Yeah, so we've got a team of three. I'm the lead developer, so I handle most of the t- everyday tasks. Um, you know, I, I, I started off doing all of this, doing 3D modeling. Um, I do lots of the animation um, and obviously most of the programming as well. Um, but then on... The other side, we have Bernard, our uh, music composer. So he helps me. Um, it, he, he does all the music composing in the game. He does all the, the songs and a lot of the sound effects. And we work really closely to figure out what we want the game to sound like and, and how we should take it forward. Uh, and then finally, our last team member is Chris, who is our 2D artist, and he's really fantastic at coming up with these amazing concepts that I kind of take them and, and try to translate them into 3D models and, and bring them to life in the game. So um, we're a very small team, and uh, you know I'm located in Perth, Western Australia. My other two members are in the US, um, so it's kind of an interesting experience doing this all online, but um, it's, it's worked out really well over these few years. Now, forgive me if I am, get some, some parts of this wrong, but I remember when you first reached out or we, or we first spoke about MISC, you were actually uh, in collaboration or in partnership with a Dutch company or Fluminous or something like that, Fluminous? Yeah, so that was Fluminous. Um, so that was originally our programmer's company. Um, so when when we started MISC, it was just a smaller idea that I, I started on my own um, under that company. And then we eventually moved it away because it was going to be like sort of a bigger project that I wanted to take on fully myself. Um, so that company 
he's still working on a few things on his own, and like we literally, we still talk and and we still work on things together. Um, but yeah, we kind of like separated it a little bit, so then I could really focus on mes myself. So that's when I started Tiny Way Games, and and that's how it's getting published now. Cool. So so tell me a little bit about Tiny Way Games. Um, I guess is there anything more to the story on on how that came to exist or um you know is this the first year that you've that you've co-owned uh, sorry not co-owned um that you've created yeah i mean tiny way games was just basically uh <laughs> a company that that i created so that i can publish misc um eventually we do plan to do do more um and and you know like publish even more games under the company but um yeah, Tiny Way Games started just so then we could we could get Misk up and going, um, and yeah, it's been really really fun to have like all of our team under one name. Was the was the goal always to have your own studio or company? I mean, yeah, eventually, like I would love for everybody to be able to like come over here in Perth and and actually set up a a studio in an office somewhere but yeah for, for now we're all online and that's that's how everything's running because I'm, I'm just wondering how um how the scope of because you mentioned that the scope of misc expanded and then you sort of took it from fluminous to being your own company i guess when when you first uh, came up with the idea for misc uh, like was there ever part of you that was like you know uh, eventually, you know, I want to take this, uh, sorry, I want to make this my own thing, but I don't have resources or whatever it is. Um, cause obviously the idea that you're saying that it started out much smaller. So I guess what, uh, what chat, like, what was the change there? Like, you know, what was the catalyst for, for you deciding that you wanted to make it a bigger game and then go out on your own kind of thing? I think, that the, I mean, there was a few changes that like happened between um, me and, and my programmer. So like we kind of had differences that we wanted to focus on. So he wanted to focus a little bit on a different type of style of game, and I wanted to focus on um, Misc, which was which was my game idea. So we basically decided that like, hey, this is my game idea. I'm gonna start working on this full time um, under my own company. You've got yours, and you could work on it under yours. Um, and then we kind of split like that. Um, but yeah, like since then it's actually been really good. We've, we've been independently working on our own projects. Um, and yeah, it was just kind of like a technicality. So then I can definitely say like, you know, Tinyware Games is a part of this. Mm. So Nice. So we've talked about the, the game's inspirations with, uh, platformers and, and that and so the story, uh, and I've I played the demo probably a couple of weeks ago now, so my memory's a little bit hazy on exact details. But uh, your character Bisk has a friend in the world called Buddy, uh, and you and Buddy are I, I think they're trying. It's set in like a garden or a backyard, uh, and you're trying to escape, or you're trying to see what's beyond the garden. Uh, um. And that's where you interact with other other characters in the world and and help them do uh, or you know help them do things that they're trying to trying to do. Yeah. So basically, you start off in this uh, 
place called the Garden Village, and that's kind of like the area you you uh, you and your best friend Bag Boy grew up in. Bag Boy, um, sorry. <laughs> and then one night, uh, they're like looking up at the stars, and they notice an explosion in the distance, and that's when like all these golden cogs fall down from the sky and land everywhere. Um, so. Bagboy kind of uses it as an excuse to try to uh, look for him and go on an adventure and see what else is out outside of this village that they've pretty much been staying in their whole life. So um, that's kind of what kicks off your adventure. And then the next day when you wake up, um, your your goal as, as Buddy, the character that you play as, is to uh, go around, try to find these cogs. Um, some of the characters have the cogs themselves, but... Um, don't know really what to do with them or don't really know what they are. So you have to kind of entice them uh, to trade it with, with something that they might want. Um, so yeah, there's a little bit of like kind of unlocking elements there where you might need a certain item or you might uh, need a certain amount of currency before you can actually unlock that cog and get it yourself. But the goal is to get at least eight cogs in the level. There's there's ten that you can get. Um, to to end up being completely optional. Um, so there's a little bit of flexibility there. And then once you get to the end gate of the level and you're ready to move on to the next chapter, you can open the gate with those eight cogs and move on. So that's kind of how the game's structured. Yeah, nice. How do you know? Can you reveal how many chapters there are in the game? Yeah. So it's kind of we we're at a stage where we're not completely sure what the final number will be, but we're always aiming to be close to 10. Um, It's, it's kind of like hard to say definitively because chapters aren't like a, it's not your, like your typical level, I guess. Like some chapters might be a lot shorter and some might be really long. So, um, you know, we could say 10, but like that doesn't exactly say how, how long the game is or, um, how how much is in each chapter? So, do you have a an approximate length of of the game? We're definitely trying to keep it over six hours. We don't want it to be too long, um, yeah. and obviously it depends on like how in depth you want to get with it because we do plan to have like a few unlockables at the end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we we want to offer good value for your money, but also. Um, try to keep it on a little bit of a shorter side because I've noticed that a lot of people are actually really appreciating shorter experiences now um, just with how busy their everyday life is. So, um, yeah, we don't want it to drag out or overstay its welcome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, 10, 10 levels and and or the, that six-hour mark does sound, sounds like a pretty good sweet spot. What I, what I did notice about from, from playing it is it's, uh, it feels very accessible to... Uh, a lot of ages or to all ages. So even if someone's, you know, if they grew up playing, you know, the Spyro of the Dragon games and, and the Nintendo platformers or you're, you know, like a young, you know, you've, you've got young children, this seems like it's a it's a good fit for that. Uh, I guess, was that a deliberate sort of choice was to make it uh, accessible to all ages? Because I think uh, you can get some platformers that you know do send uh, do tailor themselves to older players or, or players that have a bit more skill um, but this not to say it's been dumbed down but it does seem like I said it's much more accessible for all ages yeah I mean definitely like we're, we're trying to balance that line of like making it fun for all the audiences but accessible enough that 
pretty much anyone can enjoy it. Um, I think the biggest barrier of like younger ages playing the game is just that it's a very dialogue heavy game. So um, there is a little bit of reading you know, re required for them to fully enjoy the story um, and to also kind of understand some of the puzzles that they might have to solve. Yeah. Um, but, we, you know, we've, we've showed this game off at exhibitions in, um, in Perth, uh, hosted by uh, Let's Make Games. We've, we've had like a Perth Games Festival in a few years in a row. Um, so we've been to those and, and had lots of people in the public come through and play MISC. And it's been really fascinating seeing just how like accessible it really is. Like the, the age range is, you know, like as you mentioned, completely different. Like you have kids playing it and surprising me and like, you know, really getting, getting by and actually kicking butt at the game. I was really surprised. Um, and then you got like uh, one of my favorite moments a, a few years ago, there was a older lady. I think she was in like her seventies or eighties. She had never played a video game in her life and Misk was literally her first one. Um, so that was like a huge honor for me <laughs> and just mm -hmm. seeing her like, you know, pick up the controller and like actually trying to get through the game. Um, I was like, wow, this is a really special moment. So, um, yeah, it's definitely intended for all ages. Um, we've definitely got like some fun elements in there that hopefully, you know, classic gamers, um, who grew up with these type of games will kind of get the references and, and enjoy. Um, but hopefully it should be easy and accessible enough for everyone to to get through so you mentioned it's a dialogue heavy game uh i, I did i did notice that uh is the will the game be fully voiced or so the voices are kind of almost banjo kazooie ish like they've got generated like made up language voices sure. um so like that's that's definitely like a part of the the character um, of the game, so yeah, we we definitely uh, intend to keep it that way. But um, the the only voices that are in the game is the cutscenes between each chapter. Um, a narrator speaks in English and and narrates the game. Um, whether we localize that to other languages down the line, um, that's to be confirmed. I'm not sure how we'll approach that, but um, yeah, that that's definitely something that we're always thinking about because you know it is such a dialogue heavy game we will eventually have to localize it if we want to expand out so the other thing that i noticed is that there's like mini boss fights if you if you want to call them that um i guess how do these expand throughout the game i think because the one that i played is it's the the is it a frog um uh, yeah um so, I mean, clearly you're not going to, you know, you're not making Dark Souls here, so you're not going to, you know, be challenging the player too hard, but uh, how do you, how do you find the right balance be between those sequences? Yeah, well, like, we, it was really interesting coming up with, like, the sort of battle mechanics for the game, because, like, you know, first and foremost, it is a platformer um, and a story-driven experience. So, like, we wanted to add something that was sort of, like, combat, but we, we wanted to approach it in, like, the right way because we don't want the character... Like, uh, a number one rule is the character can't actually die. Um, so, like, if you've noticed in uh, especially Chapter 2, if you ever fall into, like, a pit or, like, you know, uh, fall into goo or whatever, you're basically fall in and kind of have like an animation 
um, where they're stuck, but then you'll get reset. And there's no like live counter. Um, there's no real consequences apart from just uh, restarting at a certain point. Um, so it lets you keep keep trying again and again without like getting too stressed out. Um, so yeah, we we wanted to keep low stakes and and keep pretty chill, um, and and find that right balance. But as far as battling goes, uh, you mentioned that there was frogs that you you fight in chapter two. Um, they're kind of these like drone like wind up toys that uh, you'll see throughout the game, and they're, they're the main enemies in the game. Um, they're pretty harmless. Like the the characters in the game actually describe them as more annoying than like a actual threat um but yeah you can swing your sword almost like zelda and i guess it's it's not really a sword it's actually a little like pin um so you can swing sw swing that at them and um if you hit them three times then they'll like blow up into a bunch of cogs and stuff and you can start collecting that so we wanted to keep it kind of casual and um yeah that, that that's kind of how we've approached it nice do you ever play as bag boy during the game is that something that you can share with us uh so i can share that you will play as him uh how and the details i cannot share <laughs> that's okay that's all good little uh a little scoop there um nice so it was actually meant to come out last year in 2021 uh, but it was obviously delayed now you did mention before that your uh, work on the game has slowed a bit because of your full-time job. Uh, were there any other reasons that it was delayed or was it purely just because of that? Um, I think it's like a combination. I mean, th definitely the biggest one was, you know, just, just having the job and like reducing the amount of time I have to actually work on the game. Um, but there's also just another aspect of like, you know, we've worked as a team on other projects well before this um, in years past and in those projects we really focused on like okay let's set this as a date and no matter what get it out um but it ended up kind of working into really bad like habits like crunch time which just like puts so much stress on our whole team um mm. and and put a lot of like mental health problems on me so like we really want to avoid that with with our game and like even if it takes longer um you know the the end product matters the most and like the the health of the team matters the most so uh we just kind of have this approach of like this is a rough deadline um if we get there we get there if we don't whatever what matters is we have to you know keep happy and try to make a really good product so um mm. yeah that that definitely has been delays um we've never tried to set like a hard date like even right now our current goal is quarter four 2022 um, right, okay. but, uh, we're, you know, we're, we're definitely trying to reach that, but if we don't, um, I'm not going to put like so much stress on our team, um, because, you know, rushing it or, or trying to get it out fast won't make a better game. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how we approach it. Okay. So there's a, so there is a chance that it could slip into, into next year still. So that's, uh, I didn't, uh, yeah, well, I didn't think it was that far, not, not, um, saying that in a bad way but i uh i guess my uh understanding of it was that it was uh closer to release um closer to the, you know um confirming that it was going to be this year but that's you know, yeah but th that's good like i mean er everything that, that you've said is um is great because i feel like a lot of indie developers 
uh, maybe don't take the appropriate care that they need to. Um, and I spoke about this with um, a couple other indie developers on this uh, segment, but crunch enforce crunch when you you know when you're working at like a big company that you know mandates not you know that expects that in a way versus working on your own project and you feel guilty because you know any free time you have should be spent working on this so you end up you know crunching through passion um uh so it's good that you can separate uh you know, that and still have, you know, and keep your mind fresh and your body fresh and, you know, have a good sleeping pattern. Um, Cause yeah, like I, th- I think some indie developers can get, you know, they can get really consumed and, 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 you know, and it comes from a good pace and, uh, sorry, a good, good place. You know, it comes from, you know, a passionate, you know, and doing the thing that you love. Um, but, you know, it's also not uh, a healthy practice. So it's good that you've identified that and, and you know, and, and that you're willing to, uh, take as long as you need, as long as the team is, uh, you know, is is comes out the other end, you know, you know, uh, good, good for it. <laughs> um, I just want to touch quickly again, uh, just on the game itself. But I meant to mention the visuals. I was I was quite impressed with the with the visuals that themselves. Like it looked like almost like a Pixar sort of experience uh, in certain parts. Um, so yeah, like uh, I know that you've you mentioned that you're uh, you know we've spoken about it a bit, but you've been inspired and influenced by uh, older platformers. What was the because it would have been quite easy for you to maybe go with like a pixel art or like a retro kind of feel and look for the game. Uh, I guess why, from a visual standpoint, why did you choose to go with a more modern uh, look? Um, yeah, like it, it's it was really interesting because like we tried so many different styles early on, but um, I, I think the key reason I personally chose this art style is like I really like to learn. Uh, I really like to work within like my limits. So anything that I can do really easily and pull off really well. Um, try to focus on those those key points and like really make them shine. Um, so like me personally, I'm a 3D environment artist. So what that means is basically a lot of the art that I do is hard surface. So it's like lots of real world um, things like, you know, uh, I guess like tables and cups and all sorts of objects that have a very hard surface um, compared to, say, a character artist, which would normally sculpt their art, um, which is kind of like a whole different technique. It's a lot harder for me to do. Um, So I I definitely didn't want to, like, when I was thinking of the game early on and thinking of, like, character designs and all this, I was like, well, I can't do organic designs that um, require sculpting because I'm good at uh, these hard surface things. So what can I do as characters that work in hard surface? So I was kind of looking at these objects that I've built in the past and I was like, okay, well, I can do things like cans and I can do um, all of these miscellaneous items really well. Um, if we make those the characters, it's going to be really easy to pull off and it'll also be a lot easier to animate. Um, so that's kind of how like the concept of the characters came about. 
um, and why I think the the look of the characters and the world works really well is just because like I guess that's what I kind of specialized in to begin with um, and then on top of that you know when we're thinking of just the game engine um, we we had, had sorry we had a choice of like Unreal Engine or Unity and I think Unreal Engine works really well for like a lot of reflective metallic objects it renders them really easily and looks really good so we tried to focus on that a lot and um, a lot of the objects in the game ha have that kind of aesthetic to them so I think that's like kind of why we chose that art style and um, why it tends to lean that way um, obviously on top of that you know we we grew up with a lot of like Pixar we grew up with a lot of Nintendo and all these type of franchises that have that kind of childish, cartoony feel to them. Um, so we wanted to capture that same nostalgia and uh, look as well, um, while obviously trying to make it something more of our own. So uh, it was kind of all a combination of all those elements um, that that ended up being the the final look. Um, but it's interesting, like, you mentioned that, like, oh, it might have been easier to just do, like, pixel art or something like that. And it's, like, for me, it actually would have been easier to just go with the style we did because, like, I'm awful at pixel art. <laughs> I'm awful at, like, all 2D stuff. So, like, it's, yeah, it's just kind of, like, um, a happy coincidence that it ended up the, the way it was. The other, the other just, just while you were talking there, I was just thinking, you know, what else could you know what, what other direction could this game have taken and uh one because yeah, you mentioned that you're an animator so i was thinking what if you went like the like the wallace and gromit style animation you know that probably it would, it would have taken forever um but uh you know i think that could have been a a really cool um style there all right i want to move away from misc and i want to talk about tinyware and about yourself a bit so just tell me how exactly did you get into game development? Like what, you know, what are some of the first memories of video games that you have from your childhood? Oh, so I've been playing games like since I was literally a kid. My, my dad was a really like tech savvy person. So like he used to build computers um, well before we were born, um, just kind of like as a hobby. And he's always been interested in like arcades and all this stuff. So like we, we definitely got that from, uh, my dad growing up and like I remember like the first console I ever played was like a PlayStation 1 like a Super Nintendo and we had all these like retro video game consoles even when we were growing up after they were well out of date we still had access to them um, th through our dad and um, sorry I say we because like a, a lot of the reason I'm into games as well was also uh, my brother um, so he's like two years older than me and, and we both grew up playing games together um, as brothers and and I think it was really an important part of like our journey because like he's also ended up being a video game developer he actually works at Minecraft right now so he he works at Mojang oh, nice. in Sweden um so it's, it's been like really a fascinating experience like looking at how our journey has kind of, kind of gone in different directions but like stayed the same um so like you know at heart he's a programmer slash engineer I'm more of a animator and 3d modeler um but you know we, we've both created games over our uh over our lifetime we we both grew up with gaming um and I I just remember so many different memories like growing up 
even as kids, we were so interested in grabbing a game that we loved and trying to take it apart and figure out how it works or what we could add to it. So, like, a game that I remember specifically, we were playing, like, a PC game um, called Black and White, uh, and I think it was specifically Black and White 2, where we kind of, like, played as this god and there was, like, all of these creatures that you could control. Um, but we're like, oh, we want to do something, like, fun with this. So we, like, looked into it. Um, and we figured out how to open up the file and edit the textures of, like, some of the characters in the game. Um, so, like, that was the first time I could remember actually, I guess, editing a game. Um, and more specifically, like, seeing how the textures even looked. Because um, I didn't even, like, think of it. I was like, okay, whatever, games are magic, they just exist. But, like, <laughs> just seeing how, like, everything's broken down and made up and... Um, seeing like the actual file for a texture and editing that and like giving it its own look was such a fun thing and like those those little experiences that we had growing up I think definitely dived into you know where we are today so yeah it was, it was really really fun so you mentioned your brother have you have you two discussed you know working together at, at some point <laughs> all the time uh like, we, we've worked together um, on little projects, just personal projects on our own. Um, this was back before he got a job at Minecraft. So, like, now he work, now he's in Sweden. So, like, he's been there for two years since this lockdown's happened. Um, and, yeah, it's been a really interesting journey seeing, like, what he's doing in the industry, um, especially because, like, what I'm doing now is, you know... It's like an indie game, so I've got like a lot more freedom. Obviously, Minecraft isn't his IP, so he's just working for them. Um, but it's really great to see like what he's adding to the game and what touch he's had. Um, but yeah, like as as far as you know, would we work together in the future? Like I'll absolutely be up for it. We've talked about it before, um, and I think you know one of the great things about us is we kind of complement each other in the fact that like you know he's. He has all the skills that I don't. <laughs> He's really good <laughs> at programming. I'm okay, but like I can only do programming in visual programming, um, which is which is why we chose Unreal Engine as well. Um, so yeah, like I'd I'd definitely be up for it. I'd love to see what we could come up with. You mentioned that you've done uh, projects in the past. What sort of uh, projects have you done? Um, you know, can we, is, is, is it something that people can just go and play uh, and like download somewhere or? Yeah. Um, so one of the bigger projects we did together, um, this was just before I started MISC actually. Um, a few years back, uh, we got together um, and wanted to make like a, well, see, we it initially wasn't even supposed to be a project. Like we, literally just made some fan art for um, the upcoming movie Jurassic World at the time. This is like in 2014, 2015. Um, and we've always like loved the Jurassic Park franchise and, and, you know, waiting for a new movie for 14 years and then finally Jurassic World starts to come out. Um, so I make this like fan art of like the visitor center from the movie. Um, and it really picks up steam on, on uh, Reddit and people are like, oh, you should do more. You should keep working on this, keep adding to it. So, like, I started to do that. Um, and eventually, like, I got to a point where I was like, oh, I can start building out the whole um, the whole park. And, like, it kind of slowly became this project of, like, recreating 
the park from the movie. Um, and, you know, after a year or so, like, we got some people interested who wanted to contribute to it. So, like, that's how I met a lot of the developers that I actually still have today. Um, so the programmer that I mentioned before and the music producer who works for Tinyware as well, um, they both came from this fan project of, of kind of helping recreate the park. Um, and, yeah, eventually we worked on this for so long and eventually we actually got to a point where it kind of became more of a game um, that people could just explore and, you know, like download and, and run around for free. Um, so we did release it, uh, and this was uh, maybe three years back, and it was called Jurassic Explorer. Um, I'm pretty sure you can still download it today. Um, it's like on Game Jolt. You can literally just Google Jurassic Explorer, and you'll see a bunch of stuff pop up. Um, and we're really fortunate with that. Like We got a lot of support from the Jurassic community. Um, Universal Studios was like really awesome, and, and like they've, they've always been really supportive of like fan projects. Um, like, for example, someone I know actually worked on the viral marketing campaign um, with his team because Universal Studios actually saw uh, a mock-up website of something from the movie that um, they were so impressed with. They were like, okay, we got to hire these guys to do our marketing. Um, so, like, they've been working nice. on that and they're, they're, they're still working on it for, like, this new movie that's coming up as well. So, um, the, there's so many like things that just happened over these years and um I think we we use that as a learning experience as well to figure out you know like how do I work on a game development uh team how do I manage that and and like obviously improve our skills along the way as uh programmers as as animators and all this stuff so that project was like such a vital part of my game development journey um mm. And, like, so much so that, that we actually, me and my brother, actually decided to direct a documentary about it. And, like, that's on YouTube as well, Our Jurassic Journey. Um, so that was, like, a full documentary that we did. Um, but, yeah, that, that was a really interesting project that me and my brother worked on together. Um, he helped a lot with the programming. And he was a really good advocate of, like, pushing... Um, to, to come up with these new ideas and really try to make it like a fun, unique experience. So um, I think I'll always remember that. Yeah, nice, nice. Are there any other projects that you've worked on since, uh, yeah, since getting into game design? Not, not anything that's out there or complete. Like we've done like little projects here and there. Um, and as, especially like we've, we've tried to work on like little ideas, but yeah, like those were the main ones that we did um together that's that's up on the internet um like that that Jurassic explorer project took three years to complete so yeah, like right. that was a whole experience within itself like we haven't even been working on misc that long um so yeah it's been really fascinating all right so i want to ask where where did you study game design like or did you study game game design like do you have uh, like academic uh, qualifications at all, or both for me and my brother, we did not study anything. Um, nice. We literally just taught ourselves from, um, you know, we, we were in high school and our parents were like, "Oh, why are you staying up on your computer all night?" It was because we were looking at YouTube videos on programming and, um, you know, watching all this stuff about game development. We've always been interested in it. Um, 
I think it helped a lot that we kind of shared the same interest and got to help each other out and learn together. Um, you know, the, I think that's the great thing that we're seeing about uh, specifically the games industry is that there's so much that you can learn. Just, you know, you, you have all these resources available to you right now. Um, it just takes a lot of time and a lot of patience. Um, but yeah, you can you can definitely do it and, and study it. Because um, I do remember my brother did attempt to go to university at one point to get like a, I think it was a computer science degree or something like that. But um, after like, I think like a month and a half, he was like, okay, I'm done. Like this is it. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's just, it's not the same, like, when you don't have that full control, because um, you kind of get, like, held back in certain areas, and you're, like, I think the, I've thought about this, like, a lot, like, the the reason I think a lot of schools, especially in Australia, at least, um, it tends not to go super well with game development, because, like, it's such a rapidly changing industry, and, like, unless you're actively in it, unless you're literally making a game now and using the software now... The stuff that you make a course on and teach your students is probably going to be out of date. So, yeah. like, it's such a hard thing to keep up on. It's not like, you know, the medical industry or whatever, where it's, like, a lot more certain about some things. Um, and there's also just so much variables on, like, you know, like, how can you teach what good art is? How can you teach what a good game is? Like, there's, there's certain things and certain principles that you can use as a guide, but a lot of it comes down to just figuring it out yourself and and seeing what the best practices are you know so what's been one of the biggest challenges you've had game design wise i think the biggest challenge is honestly just trying not to like trying to know your limits and like not go over scope like i like i said like initially misc was actually a very small project we we planned to do it in like a few months and and release it um but, you know, it, it expanded so much from there. And I think that's, it's got a specific name. People use it on Twitter. It's like game creep, where basically, you know, you're, you're nearly finished with the game and you're like, okay, but I'll just add this one extra feature. And then that tends up taking three months of game development time. And um, in, in some ways it's good and, you know, it's great to expand your game. But in, in other ways, you, you have to find that right balance. And, um, yeah, you, you kind of have to, know when to put down uh your mouse and say okay the game is done so (laughs) i'm still learning that so one of the other things you point is that you mentioned that you live in wa and the games community there is probably not as strong as what it is on the eastern side of the country especially like in your melbournes and sydneys and that do how have you found the the support from I guess the state government and I guess the federal government because MISC, I'm going to assume that MISC is relatively pretty much all self-funded. Yeah, completely self-funded. Um, so yeah, like it's been interesting because like, like I mentioned before, like we, we have a really strong community here, but it's very small. Um, so like I'm, I'm a part of this, uh, community here called let's make games and they're like a really great, um, community that like is just focused on game development and and showing that off celebrating it in WA um so every year they host a Perth Games Festival and a few other small events here and there um that you know 
let people come in and play other people's games at like a, a little exhibit. Um, so we've been there for two years in a row, and it's been a really fantastic experience. Um, and I'm pretty sure that it is funded partially by the government as well. So like, there's uh, a few sponsors, like Lottery West, I think, is one of the sponsors usually. Um, so th there's definitely some element of government support there, which is nice to see. But um, obviously, you know, I don't think we quite have the support we have in other states, um, especially, you know, even if you're going outside of Australia. There's so many grants that you can't get for video games over here in Australia. Um, like, they count digital media as so many other things, but not video games. Um, so it's, it, I would like to see a lot more support on that round. Um, and I would, I would want there to be more incentive for people to... Uh, stay here and develop games and build studios in Perth but I feel like you know the the lack of support from the government um, you know all this factors of like you know there's not many video game uh, developers here and the few that are here tend to leave the country to go to better places our internet's not that great over here as well um, so like all of these combined factors kind of end up you know I've seen a lot of people um, get opportunities elsewhere. Um, a lot of video game companies uh, are in other countries, in parts of America. Um, like, even my brother, you know, he, he took that job and, and went to Sweden. So, like, you know, I feel like even if he started his own company, it probably wouldn't be back here in Perth. Um, and, yeah, I would love to see that change, but I don't know when that's going to happen. Is um working for another, for, a, like, a major game developer is is that something that you would entertain or are you pretty content working on your own uh studio i'm very content working on my own i kind of like i feel like every game developer is a little bit of a control freak so <laughs> if if i were to work on a game for someone else i would find it really hard to not like get super attached to it um and like I felt like we'd still build a great product, but yeah, it would be really difficult, um, like putting in so much time and, and effort because a like, game development is really, really tough thing to do, and it takes a lot of like mental energy and and just so much time and dedication to to learn and to pull off. Um, that you know, if you if you make a great game and then it's someone else's game and you walk away from that, it's like yeah you touched it, you had, like, a great experience, but then at the end of the day, it's not even yours. It's kind of, I don't know. That That's just, like, a personal thing. I would always want to be in control if I could. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I, I'm really enjoying having the freedom of, like, kind of deciding where we want to take our game as well. Um, because, like, even... I've had publishers approach us, and um, we, we've all turned them down because, like, at the end of the day, we even if it takes a little bit longer or is a little bit more expensive on our personal side, I know that we can get through and complete the game ourselves. Like, we don't need a publisher um, or anything like that to, to help us out where we are right now. Um, so, yeah, like, I would rather that and have full control of our game than a little bit of, you know, publisher money and helping out. And then it's like, Oh, but then they control so many aspects and they decide what happens for your next game and all this stuff. So, Yeah, well, that was going to be one of my questions, uh, I mean, that I had for here for a bit a bit later was if you had been approached by publishers, uh, can you, I mean, I, I know that you can't mention names, but uh, like are we talking like well-known publishers have approached you? 
Um, some pretty well known. Like I, I would say, like it's it's not huge publishers or anything. Um, and we've definitely been approached by like you know publishers I've, I've never even heard of and I've like Googled and they don't even have a website. <laughs> um, so like yeah, it, but it's I don't know. It's been interesting. Like I feel like if we ever got a publisher, it would it'd be a really big decision. It would, it would be something that would have to feel matches our company and um and the type of games we build as well like I wouldn't want to get a publisher that's just like has never even like made you know published a, a platformer or doesn't really do family-friendly games it just wouldn't be the right fit um and and like like I said for us like where we are at right now as a team like I feel like we're very capable of like just smashing out and getting this game done and out there I don't think we need the resources that most developers might initially need um so like for example a lot of people get a publisher just to be able to get their game on the switch but we're actually doing that ourselves we literally have like a switch dev kit and we're, we're planning to bring it to the switch um uh, at the you know day one when when we release on steam as well so like we've taken on that extra work guess and it's like been a really complex journey you know figuring out everything and and um kind of doubling up our workload but at the same time we get the benefits of just full control uh you know we got we got all we got all of the uh income ourselves as well so it kind of ends up being a little bit better for our team's personal situation was there ever a publisher that you thought maybe this is a good deal and slept on it and but then changed your mind or? Uh, there were a few that I was like, okay, if I was ever going to be with a publisher, this one would be interesting. Um, but yeah, it's just, it depends on the company. Like it's, it's come down to like so many different factors and um, it's also not just my personal decision. I also have to, you know, present it to... The, the rest of the team make sure that they're happy with it as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, yeah, so far we've been very good on our own. Um, not saying that we can't get a publisher one day. I think it would be great to have one if we have it in the need for it or if we're in that situation. But I'm, I'm very confident in our team and I, I think we're going to do just fine with that one. Did, did you ever, I guess one of the perks of um, a publisher, for, I mean, this is my guess is that it, it would allow you to work on the game full-time uh is that something that you would love to do because i mean you did say that you have a full-time job and it's sort of done in the spare time which is i guess slowed it down but uh do you i mean game design is obviously a big passion but is that something that you would rather uh sorry is is that something that you would love to do day to day you know as your day-to-day -day job or are you okay with it being a bit of a bit of a side project not like a side project but you know something that you do uh when you have the time i mean yeah like that was honestly when when i mentioned that like have i ever slept on like the idea of um getting a publisher that would have been the reason i would get a publisher at, at the stage we are at is just that like you know if you get a certain amount of funding early on um that that helps you develop along the way it means that like i could spend less time at my job of you know completely quit my job and then really focus on MISC full-time. Um, there's even been times where I've thought of like, okay, well, can we get uh, something like a Kickstarter going or, or uh, Indiegogo where like the community can like kind of fund the, 
the game development and help support us um, so then we can have more time for it. We can uh, do less work on our, our day-to-day jobs and, and really focus on MISC. So that's like that's something I'd absolutely love to do. Um, like I said, like I worked on MISC full-time um, in the around the first year of game development. Um, so like that was a really great journey and like yeah it's a lot of work and it's a lot of different work that I'm used to now um, but like there's nothing I'd, I'd rather do like I think that would be fantastic but um, yeah I think the situation we're in currently is kind of keep it going in the background um, do the best we can and then eventually once we get to the point where we can release then hopefully if it does well enough I can um, I can hopefully you know fund uh, another game myself and, and keep everything uh, going off of that. Mm. So is there a reason why you didn't jump on the Kickstarter or the other crowdfunding I think it's like, it's a very in- intimidating experience because um, I've talked to a lot of people who have had successful Kickstarters. I've talked to some people who have had failed ones. Um, and I think like, yeah, the fear of like, putting yourself out there and then timing it just right that like, you know, everybody has a bit of extra cash and like is ready to fund a project. And then, um, you know, that, that, that fear of like it not reaching its goal or like getting close, but then not getting the goal. And it's Mm. like, everything just falls apart. And that, that type of reputation like kind of stays on your game. Cause it's like, Oh, well that game didn't even get its funding. Like, you know, yeah, what's the point so um there's a little bit of fear of that and um i guess that kind of gets solved with some other platforms i think indiegogo has like a flexible goal so like basically no matter what you get um that just contributes to the development um even if you don't reach your initial goal um but yeah we've definitely thought of it and it's something that we could possibly do in the future um it's also kind of something hard to ask for as well from the community because like we've been developing this game for over two years and like obviously game development takes a long time but yeah it is a hard thing to be like okay we've released these demos we've got all this stuff out and we're working on this game for a while uh can you help us like reach the final bit um it's a it's a lot to ask for so there's lots of factors that we have to think about um it's also a lot of planning that we have to do because like it's not as simple as just like make a page and then get it going like you have to Mm. plan months in ahead you have to try to get the right timing um so yeah it's something that if we ever do we'll have to really really plan out another question i had for you uh you mentioned that you're sort of a self-taught game programmer or game designer but do you have any like like mentors or uh, people in the wa industry or the australian industry or even international industry uh that you can sort of reach out to when you sort of uh have issues or you need a bit of guidance or you you know whatever it is that you need you have someone to go to i mean i haven't particularly used them much but i know that like the the team that i mentioned before the let's make games um they've got a lot of really great resources and um developers there that like have literally been you know like if you get stuck on something or if you want to run an idea by us reach us at any point um so that's like been a really great help and i know that like i've talked about a few ideas and and a few things especially with like the switch development side of things 
um, because there are a few developers in Perth um, and end up in like Australia that have you know gone through this whole journey of like building a Switch game, releasing it, um, getting like physical copies of it done. So like I've had a lot of questions there that I've got help with, um, which is really great. Um, but aside from that, I don't think there's too much, at least in WA. Um, like, I still talk to my brother about, like, just general feedback. Like, I get him to play, like, every version of our game um, that I make so then I can get some, like, feedback that's kind of outside my own scope and, like, a little bit. Because he, he, tr he tries to stay, like, as far away as he can from the game so then he can kind of have, like, a more objective view. Um, but I really respect him as, like, a programmer and as a game designer, so... Um, if he says something that's going wrong, I know that it's going wrong, so... <laughs> nice. That's, yeah. That's, uh, I mean, yeah, it's always good to have someone like that that, um, that you, you know, trust the opinion of, so that's good. Uh, if you weren't developing MISC, are there any projects you've got sort of in, in the works that maybe might have uh, taken its place? Oh. Or ideas, sorry? I don't know, like, I, I feel like there's so many different game ideas that I've wanted to do over the years, but, like, Misk is kind of, like, everything that I've wanted from a game. Like, I always wanted to make a game that I enjoy playing myself, and, like, I've always super been into, like, 3D platformers. Like, I love, like, you know, Super Mario, and um, I grew up with, like, Crash Bandicoot and Spyro and all these classic platformers so like to, for for me and I think for the rest of our team like it's really a culmination of like all of the things that we love and grew up with um whether I'd be working on a different project apart from MISC probably but I don't know exactly how that would look um I know I've like really enjoyed like a lot of racing games like Mario Kart so I don't know maybe one <laughs> one day in an alternate universe, I would be developing something like that. Who knows? Uh, nice, nice, nice. Uh, so it's coming to Switch and PC. You mentioned this before. I just want to jump back to, to Mist quickly. Um, are there any other platforms that you're considering bringing Mist to or is two, two is enough for the moment? We've always like looked at other platforms and like I, it was a really big win for us to, to get it on the Switch and, and get it running because like, I feel like the Switch is obviously just, like, a, a very natural, like, choice for us. Um, and, you know, it's been an incredible journey and an incredible dream come true seeing it even playing on a Switch. So, like, the fact that we are developing a game on a Nintendo console still kind of blows the whole team away. Um, as far as other platforms, yeah, we've definitely looked into it. Um, Xbox has been, like, kind of an enticing platform to be on because... Uh, at least from my experience and from what I've seen out there from other game developers, it tends to be a lot easier to get on Xbox than it does to get on PlayStation. Um, you know, people are, like, still having trouble getting a PlayStation 5, let alone, like, a dev kit. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's a very tricky thing to, like, get into, and there's lots of technical sides of it, too. Um, the thing that would definitely be nice about other consoles compared to the Switch is just having more access to power, um, like, the Switch has really surprised us, and it, I, I'm honestly kind of shocked that our game even runs as well as it does on the Switch. Um, but there are definitely moments that we've had to scale back certain elements of the game just so then it, it does perform well on both PC and Switch. 
Um, so just to not have that worry on other consoles would be a really nice um, little benefit. Uh, all right, I want to talk quickly uh, about a hot topic at the moment that's, that's uh, been a bit of a trend, and that's NFTs. Um, I just want to get your thoughts on, on the whole thing and, and whether that's something that Tinyware would ever engage in. Uh, there's obviously a lot of lot of discourse about it at the moment, a lot of negative discourse, and it seems that whenever a game developer or a publisher sort of announces plans to um, enter into that sort of market, they're pretty much hounded out of town. Uh, what are your feelings towards this new sort of uh, trend? Yeah, it's, it's been really interesting. Like, I've never felt like they've fit with games um like i feel like just from personal experience like i really hated just the trend of like you know maybe 10 years ago when like i guess dlc and um microtransactions was starting to happen more and more in games and i remember people like freaking out it's like oh why would you buy in a cosmetic item for like real money it just doesn't make sense um and I think over time, we've kind of adapted a little bit and we kind of see a little bit of value in customizing characters and all that stuff with, with you know, these digital assets. But um, as far as NFTs, like, I don't, I don't think where it's currently at, I would be interested in, in that, um, especially for games. Like, I feel like there's so many different things that people are rushing into this technology, not having a background in game development. And I've seen so many really dumb things where people are like, oh, well, if you have a hat in this game, that means you'll have that hat in every game. And it's like, that's not how game development works. Like, you would have to, A, get the license for that specific hat and then license it out to every single other game company. You'd have to make sure it works in the game. You'd have to, like, specifically model it and then get it into that game engine. Like, it's it's not something that you can easily transfer into. And the other thing is, like, this type of idea has existed already. Like, we don't need the blockchain or, like, NFTs for this type of stuff to even happen. Um, so, like, the idea of, like, uh, like, if you own this NFT, then you'll unlock something in this game. That's been happening for years, like, with save data. So, like, if you own a specific game of, like, um, say, there was... This is a really strange example, but, like, uh, Wii Fit on the Wii. Like, if you owned the first game and then you got Wii Fit Plus and you put that in your console, as soon as it reads that you've got save data for the original Wii Fit, it will transfer all of that to uh, your new game. So, like, that's that, that happened before NFTs. You know, like, that, that didn't need the blockchain. Um, and then, you know, on top of that, there's this whole, like, like, other issue of, like, energy consumption and all this stuff. And, like, I know that there's other, I guess, like, other sort of blockchain things out there that are more eco-friendly, and, like, that's great, but, like, what's more eco-friendly is also just not doing it in the first place. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, at, at least for video games, I'm really kind of opposed to doing it. I definitely can say that we would never do it at Tinyware Games. I don't plan to do any NFTs. Um, but... Yeah, as far as other technology, I'm not sure. It's kind of hard to see, I guess, the practical benefit of it. And, like, you know, even if there is a benefit of it, can we do it without the blockchain? Can we do it without cryptocurrency in the first place? 
that's something I would like to figure out, and um, that's kind of my stance on it. But yeah, it's it's been fascinating watching it from a game development perspective because yeah, you've got like all these companies that come out and do it, and it doesn't seem like there's even a demand for it from the players. Like, it's just kind of happening from the higher-ups in the company that are like, oh, this is trending, let's do that. And, yeah, it's kind of unfortunate that that's kind of happened everywhere. Um, so. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's impressive and also mind-boggling that um, companies still keep doing it and then they go, this time, maybe this time it's going to work. They're going to want it this time. Uh, and no one wants it. Um, and like you're right, you know there are ways that you can sell cosmetic items. I mean, yes, Steam has got that whole marketplace where you can do that now. So that's existed for for ages. So if you wanted to sell a skin or whatever it is, uh, you know that that option is there. So it, it it's going to be inter- interesting to see to how it uh, evolves and w- and whether it dies out. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, time time will tell. Yeah. Time will tell. And and I mean like it's. It's interesting because, like, I'm not opposed to, like, I guess, like, digital collectibles because, like, I love collecting stuff in games, you know, and I, I feel like that type of stuff and especially if you truly can, like, validate it as, like, you know, this this is, like, X number of whatever, like, that's kind of neat. Um, but, yeah, just whether that's something that even needs to happen on the blockchain to begin with, um, there's this whole other thing that, like, I see a lot of, like, NFT art being sold and it's like people who buy the art don't tend to buy it for the art they buy it for the value that this might end up being and it's like I would never buy a piece of like I wouldn't buy like a painting on a wall for my personal bedroom or office to go like oh I hope in 10 years I can sell this like it's just I would buy it because I like the look of it and I feel like that's just doing it for the money side of things is completely devaluing what art is um and i think the same type of thing is happening in like the gaming side of nfts where like they're trying to like oh but you know you could you could instead of just playing the game for fun you could be earning money from playing it it's like well (laughs) what if i just want to play it for fun like nothing has to i don't want it to feel like a job to play a game like (laughs) it's already a job to be in game development (laughs) so that would just be like a nightmare situation for me personally so, all right, with, with Tinyware, so you've had Tinyware, what, for maybe like a year, a little bit over a year? Is that sort of... I think it's about, yeah, two, two and a half years now. Okay, okay. Something like that. Yeah, all right. What, uh, what have you found to be uh, the most challenging, I guess, parts of running a studio? It's just time, I guess. Like, just, yeah, finding the time for everything. Um... I find it pretty easy to manage the team just because, you know, we're a really small team. We're all friends. Like, we've, we've all got the same interests and we we talk to each other just about our personal lives all the time. So, like, that's that's definitely not an issue for, for the company. Um, but, yeah, just time of, like, you know, managing everything. Um, there's a lot of marketing that goes into not just the company but obviously the game itself that... I guess developers, when they get into it, they kind of don't realize that, you know, you have to do all these different aspects at the same time yourself. Like, you are your marketing department. You are your game development department. Um, you know, you have to sell yourself and you have to get yourself out there. And that 
that takes a lot to, to really get going. Um, it's a lot to keep up with while you're actively developing, and it's even harder if you don't have as much time to do both. So um, I would say like that's definitely the, the hardest bit. What, what do you, I mean, apart from the obvious and, and, and making the game, what do, you, what do you love about having a studio? I guess I just really love that, like, like the reason making games is so fascinating to me is um, just that you can literally translate an idea that you see in your head into something that's real that other people can interact and enjoy. Like, that's such a magical thing for me, and I really love just being able to do that with, with this team and, and being able to, like, collaborate with, um, you know, it, it's a really fun experience going to my 2D artist, Chris, and, like, you know, we, we discuss an idea for a possible character. We, we, we brainstorm it, we, like, do sketches, and um, my, my sketches are awful, but his are amazing, <laughs> so he turns it into an amazing 2D piece. And then to take that and translate that to a 3D model, to rig that, to bring that to life, and then get our music composer in and, and add sound effects, add music, add a story and life to these characters, like, that is just such an amazing experience within itself. And then the final step is just having other people play it and experience that and, and see the final product. Um, yeah, like that, I'll always enjoy that process of game development. And I think, yeah, that collaborative experience um, as a company is, is definitely like really amazing. And like, I think that's what makes every day so easy to like go through because it, it kind of doesn't feel like work. It, it's it's hard, it's challenging, but it definitely doesn't feel like something I don't enjoy. <laughs> yeah, so how, how much time would you say that you do spend on, on MISC or on Tinyware, like a week on average? Um, well, so I work three days a week at uh, the company I'm at right now, and then I do like a bit of commission work in between on my off days. Um, so every other time it's pretty much spent on either Tinyware games or just like, chilling and like resetting a little bit um <laughs> i try to get in like something done you know even if it's just like complete a model or do an animation or whatever it might be um every day uh so i definitely work on it a little bit every day but i would say a week i probably do about like maybe between 15 and like 30 hours it really depends um but yeah i definitely try to get in as much as much work as i can and um you know, we'll, we'll have these moments where, like, you know, I could be at work and, like, not doing something, but then another team member uh, might be working on a concept art or might be working on music that we discuss. So, like, we kind of try to do the most we can, especially with our time zones, to fill in each other's work, which is really nice. So, yeah. Nice. Very nice. All right. So I have completely lost track of what I was going to ask. Um, <laughs> my apologies. No problem. Uh, <laughs> I, I had a good, I had a good question lined up. See, this is what happens when you don't, uh, when you delete the wrong file, you, <laughs> you lose, um, uh, I, I'll, I'll go with another one quick, just uh, while I'm trying to remember what that one was, but, uh, you, you're obviously a massive N Nintendo fan. Uh, if you could work, if, if, if you could go to to, well, if in fact, if you can go to, to anybody, it doesn't have to be Nintendo, but you can go, you can work on any game license or any existing franchise, dormant or whatever, uh, and you could work on a, a new game. What uh, what IP would it be? 
this one's gonna be a really obscure one, but I grew up with a, like, anime golf game <laughs> that, like, lasted <laughs> literally, I think it was, like, 15 years um, before the, like, main servers closed down. And even now, I think it's, like, reached the 20-year point, and, like, the last remaining server in Thailand is literally still running somehow. Um, <laughs> I've learned recently that sadly, like, the IP is kind of dying, and, like, the, the development studio itself might kind of work on other stuff or just disappear altogether. So, like, that's a part of my childhood that I would love to work on. Um, and that, that game calls, is called Panya. It was also, like, known as Albatross 18 in the West as well. Um, yeah, nah, so, like, I've never heard of that. <laughs> yeah. Most, like, so most people probably wouldn't. It's kind of a weird game. Um, but, yeah, just because I've worked... Uh, because I've, like, played that so much and it's been such a big part of my life, I would love... To work on that um it would be very tricky because uh it's a korean studio so i'd have to learn a little bit of korean <laughs> but um yeah I, I guess apart from that in terms of like i guess more more known ips i would love to work on a pikmin game as well um pikmin is probably one of my other favorite franchises and i think there's a lot of obvious uh tie-ins there with misc um just working on, like, you know, a, a game that has, like, these tiny creatures in, like, a post-apocalyptic world um, is really, really fun. And, yeah, I would love that. The one, so, so one of the other questions I was going to ask is, uh, do, you, do you have, like, a studio or, like, an office or do you just sort of work from, from home? I literally have a tiny, tiny area in my house. Um, we have... <laughs> We have we have like a sticker on the wall that says Tiny White Games, but apart from that, yeah, it's just it's just my house. Um, but like, that's how it's always been. Like even you know years ago, like it was just literally working on my bed and uh, you know staying up late and drinking lots of caffeine. Like you can you can do this stuff pretty much anywhere, and I think that's like the one thing out of like COVID that's kind of being good is I guess the world waking up to that idea of like oh people can work from home for a lot of these jobs and like that's that's really good and um you know it's it so interesting seeing all these companies being like oh how can we get this working and like how can people collaborate online and it's like well we've been doing that well before <laughs> any of this yeah. started happening it's like I think most most people in the games industry were pretty much online and um even now I know like when COVID hit and like the Mojang offices closed for COVID, they were closed for a long time. I think it was honestly close to a year. And like now they've pretty much got a like choice. Like you can you can work from home if you want, pretty much. And if you want to go into the office on some days, you can go in and like, you know, it's a lot more flexible. So it's really good to see that. Um, I think it does take the right person and the right environment and team to work online. Um, but I've really enjoyed it. Because one of the one of the things, and this is sort of this is uh, one of, sort of the question I was going to tie into about sort of how much time do you do you spend? Uh, I guess with with your your office and the game being at home, sometimes you might feel a bit guilty when you are sort of not working on the game. Um, All the time. You, yeah, so it's, <laughs> um, because it's right there, you know. So you know. You shouldn't be sitting down and watching whatever or doing whatever. You know, this game is, um, you know, needs to be finished. But it's good that you can, yeah, that you can can uh, separate that. 
Another question I wanted to quickly talk about, and you mentioned sort of before, is the response from uh, players and fans and and that. But I want to ask how, and you probably haven't dealt with it a lot yet, but dealing with negative feedback because I guess as uh, as AAA games and or you know game development in, in general just gets more advanced and more technical and and more glorious all over indie games sometimes uh you get players that play indie games that don't have the right expectations and therefore are criticized unfairly because of that not saying that i think that misc will but i'm just you know um you know how do you think uh as an indie developer how do you take what you need to take away from from feedback like that i mean just for me personally like i find negative feedback fascinating like i i kind of try to seek it as much as i can um so like we we've done some test rounds um on a platform called ground and we've done it with them twice basically they're a platform where you can uh like the developer is seeking like feedback on a level um they have like 2 weeks or like a month uh, for the community to play the game, and then um, as well as just you know playing it early and playing it for free, they also, depending on their reviews and stuff, um, the most helpful reviews get like points um, by the developer, and then they, they can like use that and get like merchandise and all that stuff. So um, we've got a lot of feedback from their community, and it's been really fascinating. A lot of it has been like honestly strangely overwhelmingly positive i really did not expect that at all because like i as a developer i'm so like self-critical of my own work that i see so many like small things that like people like oh that's not an issue at all and then there's some things that i don't think is an issue that players will be like oh this is awful so um it's been really fascinating but um yeah i always try to look at that negative feedback or feedback of like you know oh this isn't fun or like you know I got stuck at this areas and it's just I guess trying to figure out what went wrong and how you can improve it um I think it's very easy and I I, I had this in the past where you can take it personally just because it is so close to you but you kind of have to separate it from this is an insult to this is where the player is getting stuck let's figure out how what we can do to to change it and make it better and more fun for them um because like the thing is you know like no matter what you make no one's going to make something that everybody will like there's always going to be people that just don't click with your product um there'll be people who just don't understand how to play it or don't understand you know a certain aspect of it and like you just kind of have to be okay with that and like just like you know if you play games yourself as a developer there's plenty of games that you don't like and there's plenty of games that you won't play. Um, so you kind of have to understand that mindset. Um, and yeah, just, I guess, go in with an open mind and try not to take it as personally. <laughs> Is there... So you mentioned that just that feedback round and has how much of that feedback has uh, shaped MISC's development? Like has... Did you get uh, like a recurring sort of comment, you know, whatever for a particular thing, and go, all right, this, you know, we we have to change how this works or whatever. 
Yeah, um, I mean, I, I guess it was a little bit of smaller elements. Like, we, we tested it with the first chapter before we had um, that chapter uploaded to Steam as our current demo. Um, so a lot of the feedback we got there was mainly, I guess, like, the progression and, like, the order of some things. Um, there were some things, some parts of the game that people got stuck um, or the dialogue was, like, too long or they didn't understand a certain aspect. So those type of things would definitely go back and fix. Um, I don't think there's been, like, one specific element that's, like, recurred as, like, a problem for the player. Um, well, apart from, like, features that aren't there yet, like, the options menu, people, like, always need options, but, like, that, that happens later in game development, so we can't, we can't do that right now. Um, but yeah, like, as, as far as just the game structure and, and the gameplay, um, yeah, it's just mostly been about, like, refining everything. Like, we, we really tried to make, um, like, the combat and all that, like, you can, if you go back to all the versions, you can see, like, we've literally improved it and like we've changed like the physics of jumps and really tried to refine it um to a point that that feels right for the player very cool very cool all right so let's we might uh, get close to wrapping it up uh one question i got for you is what what do you with the after the launch of misc how do you see what's the future of tinyware games uh, you did say previously that hopefully you can secure enough funding, you know, for your next game or your next project. Um, I mean, is is taking, uh, uh, sorry, working on Tiny Bear Games full time something that that you can see yourself doing? Um, yeah, like what do you sort of see as the you know the next five or so years for uh, Tiny Bear Games? I mean, yeah, I would definitely love to keep working on things um yeah if we can get i mean the thing is like even if somehow misc just totally bombs and like doesn't do well whether that's because like it's a bad game or whether it just i don't know it doesn't like hit the right market um i can't see me just stopping game development like i will always be working on games um so like yeah i guess i'm just i'm always going to work on this no matter what and i think a lot of the people in our team feel the same way. Um, but if it can be successful enough that it funds us to be uh, more full-time or, you know, helps us get better resources and more developers or whatever, then, like, that's just an extra bonus. Like, we don't do this for uh, the money. We don't do this, um, you know, for, for any of those aspects apart from just to help us fund even more of it, you know, and just to keep going. Um, because this is this is what we do in between our everyday jobs and everyday life. Like we do it because we love it, and we don't do it for like the 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 success. Because like all of that's not guaranteed, and um, yeah, it, it it keeps getting harder and harder to succeed in uh, the video game industry. So uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't get people to be a developer out of nowhere just to get like the rewards that come from it because it's it's not something that you would do just for the money definitely yeah look as someone on a on a, on a different side of the video game industry to what you are um i do yeah like I, I very much understand sort of what you're saying you know we operate in a very similar way you know we do it for the love of writing about games and talking about games so you know we have that shared sort of passion there 
Um, but you, you sort of touched on the on the last question I want to uh, throw at you. But if if you have any advice as someone who doesn't have any, uh, you know, prof- uh, not professional, sorry, like uh, academic qualifications, and someone who just jumped in, went to YouTube, and you know, has sort of almost brute force forced their way, you know, through to making a game. What what sort of advice or tips uh, would you give to people who are considering getting into game uh, game development? This is going to sound really cheesy, but just, like, stick to it. Like, even the, the, the thing... I think there's a few good things that you need to make, like, a really good video game... Or get the mindset of a good video game developer is, like... Number one, don't be afraid to fail because, like, you will fail so many times. You're going to make... No matter what, your first game is going to be awful. Like, it's going to look shit. It's going to probably play really awkwardly and, like, all of that stuff is fine because, like, most of it probably will never even see the light of day on the internet. You know, like, we can happily put those away and (laughs) delete them after. Um, But just make a bunch of prototypes, you know, just, like, get into like taking apart what you really like so like for me it was 3d platformers and i was you know doing a lot of research and like youtube videos on like you know what makes a platformer fun what what makes a, a platformer a good platformer um so look into those aspects and try to think of games in in that sort of mindset of like okay like when you're looking at something when you're playing it how did these developers do that why did they do that like what aspects of it do you enjoy and like how can you try to recreate that like there's always going to be an element of sort of copying in a way um because it's kind of like reverse engineering and then once you know how to do it you can put your own spin on it and kind of like i guess invent something new after so like yeah like for for me a lot of the experience i had um with game development was literally that that same method of like you know we we spent three years on a project where we were looking at you know this this park from a franchise we love Jurassic World and recreating it in that that way um and just going through that process even just as like you know a a throwaway fan project was so valuable to me as a developer it's like now that I'm working on MISC and working on our own original stuff, I've still got those skills and I still know how to do all that stuff. So yeah, just stick to it and like try to have as much fun as you can with it as well. Like you don't want to be miserable and and you don't want to like necessarily treat it as a job. Like you want to be able to enjoy all those little moments of like, oh, it worked, you know, like that's, that's so fun. Um, so just, just try to have that and yeah, like I'm, I'm curious. Just a question for you. Like, ha- have you tried to like work on a game before? Like, what aspects did you like come up with? I guess. Uh, so I did. Um, when I was at uni, one of the game, one of the courses I did was I don't remember the exact course, but it was like game design or it was it was some like low level like games industry. Uh, um, course right and i for the the final project or whatever it was uh, or even like throughout uh, sorry throughout you had to sort of make little tiny uh, game pitches and and the the major project was um yeah like a like a proper game pitch that you that you had to do i 
I still think the idea that I had is very, very cool. So, you know, it's something that I might explore later down the track. But I installed CryEngine uh, and I tried to use it and I just had no clue as to what I was doing. I did like a, I watched like a, like a, like a quick, you know, uh, CryEngine for dummy sort of video that, and I was like, this is way, way beyond my brain power right now. Um, if it helps i feel like every developer gets like that with new software like it's always the most complex looking thing um yeah like i worked on unity for many years before uh ever trying unreal engine and when i was in unreal engine even knowing that like i was good at unity it was just like i was in an alien planet like it was completely Mm -hmm. different there's so many like tabs and things and then terminology is just like completely different between the two even though they can do like the same thing as well um so there was like lots of confusion and like honestly you just have to give it lots of time like i generally give like literally about a year to learn each new software because it it does take that long to kind of just get in the rhythm of like using it and then you kind of get to a point where you're comfortable with the the parts that you know and then you can like kind of expand out and be like okay well, what does this do how can i do this so like yeah it just it takes a long time but um you just know that you will eventually get that like <laughs> i think i uh, like i've i've, I've spoken to the, uh, to other developers about this and i think uh, they said that cryengine probably wasn't the best place to start um but yeah like i'm, I'm actually keen to download uh, now that i have a like a new pc that's got a bit of grunt behind it i might even uh download unreal 5 and and see how um see what what i can do with that but yeah like but between work you know the website uh and just life you know that's where's you know where's the time going to come you know and i've got to play games as well you know so i can actually write you know i can write about them and that's you know that's often the hard part is finding time to actually play the games that i got to write about yeah, so. I think that's, like, also another aspect of... I think you'll find very commonly with game developers is, like, after you become a game developer, you'll never see games the same when you play them. Like, yeah. I always look at it and I'm like, wow, look at that rock. Like, how did they <laughs> how did they make that look so good? And you're, like, breaking it down to all these small elements. Yeah. And, like, the, you still have those moments where, like, you know, obviously your passion is games to begin with. So, like, I like the other day I was playing Nintendo Switch Sports and like I had the best time like just playing that. Um, but yeah, you still definitely do look at little things and you're just like, oh, they're really smart. Like I might have to use that same technique. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Michael, thanks for thanks for joining uh, joining me and, and being a part of our Made in Australia segment. It's been great to have you on. It's been awesome to chat with you about. Uh, Miskatani Tale and, and sort of your your game development journey and and where you know Tiny Ware sort of came from. Uh, I know that this is probably not going to air during this period, but I'll ask a- anyway. Is there any? I know that Steam has got uh, a demo festival up at the moment. Next Fest is is uh, Misk a part of that? Uh, so we're not a part of that one. Um, we have been in one of them. Uh, I think it was last year. Uh, it's possible we could be in a future one, depending on how it goes. But like, we're always, we always want to keep fans up to date and like trying new things. Um, so like, t- I think literally, you know, two months ago in December, we had a uh, 
test round on G round where we like showed off the second chapter for the first time. Um, so like, yeah, keep your eyes on our social media. Um, there will always be new things to test out and play, um, or at the least, you know, new new trailers and new looks into the game. Um, but then, you know, hopefully in not too long in, in game development <laughs> terms, um, we'll be releasing it and you guys can all play it on your, your platform of choice. Um, so yeah, look forward to that. Very nice. And just where can people, uh, find out the information on MISC or uh, TinyWeb or even yourself? Yeah. So you can follow us on Twitter at MISC a tiny tail, um, and you can find me on Twitter at Atomic Pang if you if you wish, but it's honestly not not super fun. <laughs> just just follow us on this. That's that's much better. Um, awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day, and good luck with the rest of Misk's development. Uh, I know that everyone at World played, and you know me personally. I'm keen to see how the game evolves, and keen to check it out when it does eventually launch this year next year awesome yeah well, thank you for having me on and, and honestly thank you for like highlighting australian game development as well because like it's such i don't know we i, I feel like there's so much uh australian made games that people don't even know about and like people might play a game and not even realize that it's developed in like sydney or melbourne and it's like yeah you know it, it's really cool to see that focus um here so thank you for helping that's okay. That's okay. Just, uh, you know, I'm very, yeah, I do, I enjoy chatting with, uh, you know, local devs and finding out their stories and, and playing their games. So thanks for the uh, kind words. Uh, you can go to www.well-play.com.au and you can find out all of our Made in Australia uh, segments from before there. Uh, thank you for listening and we will see you next time.